till we couldn't shake no more. We got down on our knees when cancer knocked at our door. We got kicked in the ass. We gave lots of sass. Oh, when it rains, it falls into this half full glass. Oh, thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. Victories in the dark. Hi, I'm Mimi Hall. And I'm Leanna House. And you're listening to Thanks Cancer. We are two cancer friends. And we're not doctors. We're not nurses. We're not shrinks. We're not psychics. We're not shamans. No. And cancer is pretty hard, too. I mean, cancer is a little hard. You might hear some swearing words in the episode. Ben, we hope you'll enjoy it. This is the podcast we wish that we had when we were going through our treatment. Hey, Leanna. Hi, Mimi. Hi. Guess what? It's almost election season. Oh, my God. Hasn't it been election season? for like the past eight years. It's felt like it for the past four for sure. Yeah. Like Hillary Clinton has just kept running and running and running, but she hasn't. You know what? I'm sick. I'm sick of politics. I know. But but that's what we're going to talk about today. Yeah. And having cancer kind of does get you involved in politics in unexpected ways too, doesn't it? Yeah. Because all of the sudden you are getting the result of all of these actions that have been taken for the past century Mm -hmm. in research and money and funding and things that you never asked for or all of a sudden, all of a sudden they matter to you. Right. And you also have a pre-existing condition. Um, you have a pre-existing condition and all of a sudden you have um, maybe a lot of medical debt. Right. And money has a way of making us care about things. Yeah, you connect to the government in a different way when these things come up. <laughs> that is definitely true. Yeah. So so I did a little bit of research into the timeline of like research in America and I found some really interesting things. Okay, break it down. Okay, so research in America and the federal government um, being involved in health started in 1798 with like a sick and disabled seaman. So that was the Marine Hospital. And the first permanent hospital for Marines was here in Boston in 1807. The hotel is still there and it still caters to active seamen. Really? Yeah. That's so exciting. Mm -hmm. It does, yeah. Well, um, Benjamin Waterhouse was the first physician in charge and Mm -hmm. House Waterhouse, I think we were not related at all, but um, we should have been. And so, like, in the 1800s, you have, like, the library office of the Surgeon General, so the um, government is kind of accumulating knowledge knowledge. You're starting to get some regulations by the end of the century, by the 1870s. And by the way, this is like prime grave robbing times in the 1800s. Yeah. Where physicians and mostly like students and janitors of medical schools are like grave robbing because that's how we find out anything about how the body works. They couldn't find corpses otherwise because of people's religious traditions. Well, and because uh, we went from like six medical schools in the nation to like a hundred in like 20 years or something ridiculous. So that's why there was a shortage of corpses. And we would like import corpses from the south when the ground froze over. Like it was wild. It was like a whole big thing. But in the midst of all that, kind of at the end of all that, we finally get the Laboratory of Hygiene established in 1887 where we're we're investigating infectious diseases Mm -hmm. like cholera and yellow fever that are killing a bunch of people. And we want to figure out why. So, like, in the 1890s, you have the Quarantine Act, and you have, like, more regulations, more formalized money from the federal government to investigate, like, leprosy and Rocky Mountain fever. So before that, what happened? People just died? 
Um, before that, you have snake oil salesmen. Right? Oh, people selling those cures with opium and uh-huh, all sorts of uh-huh. things. And that- some, like, pretty legitimate. I mean, you have, like, midwives. You have, like, right. you have, um, you know, people using opium or uh, right. alcohol. Yes. Was a big thing. Bitters yes. were medicine. So, yes. like, so, like, not to say that they didn't have Hidden stuff effect. that worked. I mean, it. Th- there, there wasn't really a difference in this time period between like the medical establishment versus uh-huh. like the non-medical establishment like that right. was pretty squishy at the it beginning was of the century yes um by the end of the century as we're getting more like the federal government is like well the stink oil salesman is like not effective at all and if we don't drink our shit we don't die of cholera <laughs> like right that that was becoming a little bit more clear by the end of the mm-hmm. century but we're talking okay. about like 1890s okay. craziness yeah yeah um, and by the way, the germ theory um, became more firmly established in the 1890s. Like, okay. we just realized that, like, tiny things cause disease. So, like, early 1900s, we're studying. We actually established the public health service that came out of this marine hospital. That was in 1912. And then 1914, we're studying things like vitamin dietary deficiency disease. In addition to all of these, like, epidemiology diseases, we're also, like, studying venereal disease where we have the first grants, the first, like, the federal government giving money to research venereal diseases. Okay. And we have 1922 is the first special cancer investigation laboratory. Right. So that was not even 100 years ago. Yeah. Um, that was and that Har- was here in Boston, too, right? Harvard, Harvard Medical School yes. is where that was established. Yeah. And in 1935, you actually get a formal mechanism where the federal government gives money to researchers in health. Mm-hmm. So that is less than 100 years old, too. So over the course of the century, you have the National Cancer Institute was established in 1937. 1938, you start getting like fellowships where you right. try to get people trained to study cancer. And then war after that for a period. And then war. But after the war, the National Cancer Institute like became part of the National Institute of Health. Like right. all of these things were getting kind of like codified where the National Institute of Health had the authority to conduct research. And this, by the way, is the time period where like the 1840s are where we are studying radiation. Mm -hmm. We talked about this in our radiation episode. And chemotherapy. Yes, this is also where we have studies of mustard gas as a chemo. Right. And these things are getting published, you guys, in like reputable journals. It's a little bit wild. Like I gave these cancer patients mustard gas like they gave us in the war and here's what happened it's like right. wild right they, they were just spitballing um oh yeah well like it whatever worked right right yeah there's also like the radiation like there's a lot of research into radiation around that right. time which we talked about in our radiation episode right but you have in 1971 um richard nixon declares war on cancer right oh and, wow. how's uh, that war going <laughs> yeah no it's going pretty well i'd say um the national cancer yeah. act was what it was called, where he said that we need research, training, and demonstration of cancer treatments and, um, like, really wanted to kick up the effort against cancer. So in the 80s, we get 
federal funding. Like it was the first gene transfer in humans. Yeah. You had a cancer patient infused with a tumor infiltrating lymphocyte, hmm. um, which I thought was wild because that was not something that I had heard about. It didn't really catch on. It did not catch on. Yeah. But like that was like the start of cancer in genes. Uh-huh. And then... We didn't discover BRCA until 2001. Yeah, and then the cancer that I have, they, it was 1992 that they finally like got a patent on it. On the immunology? The, no, the Hertunoia, the Herceptin. Mm. 92. Okay. It was so like 89 that they were like discovering it, whatever. Okay. 2002 is where immunology really kicks up. Yes. And we have in 2005, like the NCI is teaming up with other health institutes for the Cancer Genome Atlas. Mm. So that's only been within the past 15 years. And mm. in 2008 was when we like figured out genetic variations for breast, brain cancer, and lung cancer. Yeah. Like, were remarkable. But I was, as I was like looking at this information, I'm amazed by how, how little we knew not very long ago. Right. (laughs) Like, it seems insane that a hundred years ago, we like weren't making connections between smoking and lung cancer or, you know, the chimney sweeps. Right. And there was no government intervention as a result. I was about to say like the doctors might be able to proclaim something, but there wasn't a governmental interest in necessarily keeping people alive or they would look at the best, well, what's the best case scenario here? We lose a whole part of a neighborhood or we lose a few three-year-olds. Well, and it wasn't shoved down the chimney. In order to do research, like science is a methodology. And in order to be able to do research, you need the money to have like codified, very meticulous research Mm -hmm. recorded and reproducible. So we really didn't start doing that until 100 years ago. Right. And if you think to 100 years ago, so 100 years ago, we started our way to being a world power, right? Because we had World War One, and wars always promote research. And then we had a vested interest in keeping our power. So we had an interest in research and nutrition and health. You know what I mean? A real interest in that because we needed better soldiers. Well, that stronger, you know, a stronger republic. Well, a lot of, I guess, a lot of people also didn't have the chance to die of cancer before that time period because of the extension of the like um, increasing lifespan of Americans. True, but I also think there was a lot of horrible, miserable deaths from cancer that just don't get I mean, it's not nice to talk about it, but that supercation and like the, that breaking through of like the, the suspiration. Tumor, suspiration. That's what I meant. The <laughs> suspiration. I tried to use the fancy word that I learned from or Leanna last ul- week. ulceration. The ulceration is, is really what it is. So, I mean, my grandfather was asked to see out his grandmother's death through breast cancer, and it was absolutely awful and wretched, and, you know, for like four weeks. And so I think there was a, a real sort of um, just human reaction to not wanting people to die. There's miserable deaths from cancer. Well, and you're also getting rid of a lot of around that time period where we discovered like germ theory and all of a sudden you're not getting millions of people dying of cholera. Right. You can finally see the forest for the trees. You can finally see, oh, well, cancer is a problem. We should research it. It's It's been really interesting for me because I work in cancer research. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've worked in research. I help doctors apply for these very, very complicated federal grants mm-hmm. where it's been 
it is like labyrinthine. It's like the bureaucracy has grown to encompass like reality. <laughs> but it's also like the only way that we get funding and that we get information about like basic sciences. Because right now um, we have, you know, pharma companies are always trying to develop mm-hmm. drugs, but then they'll charge you an arm and a leg. And sometimes it's, you know, ridiculous costs if um, a pharma company can patent a medicine. Right. They're like the modern day snake oil salesman that like work, but if you can pay for it and you do have foundations that will fund uh, some of this like exciting new research, but for like the bread and butter and like the boring stuff that actually moves science forward, yeah. like it's, it's the federal government that's right. funding that research and it's what it's absolutely what we need in order to like we have so much squishy knowledge out there Mm. where I mean that's what you hear in the news all the time right you hear like oh well this study shows this and the headline is like very curing cancer um and then you read the research and it's like oh well there was 16 patients and so we'll have to do more research to like actually figure out if this holds true over thousands of people and that's the government funding that research Right. I mean, it's it takes a long time too. I think right now we're at a point where people are learning how long studies of trial drugs, like, you know, things that are like antivirals and whatnot and um, immunology, it takes a long time. Like drug that I'm, I was on started to be developed in 2012, right? So we're talking a trial in 2015 that I was able to get on with 110 women. And if all goes great, and, and it went great for me. I mean, it melted my cancer away. Everything was wonderful for me. But if all goes perfectly, it'll be 10 to 15 years from now that that drug gets on the market. It takes time. Oh, it takes forever because... So much time. I mean, part of it is like the nature of the problem itself. Like it's complicated, but a lot of it is like there are just so many regulations. Oh my God, so many regulations and also so many potential side effects too that you can't find out about until later. So it's just wild when you think about those time scales. National government tends to work in these cycles that are four to eight years. Right. Like with the presidential. Right. Yes. And that is not helpful when it comes to cancer research at all. Right. I mean, it takes, so it's interesting, like Nixon says, like, okay, we're going to start this. Well, God, I mean, he hasn't been around for that dismount to be landed. No. Well, and what's interesting is that the most recent, like, big thing in cancer in the government was Obama and Biden and the moonshot. Right. Which has got me very happy. Yeah. Which was what? 2006. I want to say 16 because I had cancer. Well, 2000, it was 2016 when like the report was written. I think it was started like a little, couple of years earlier. Um, right. But yeah, it was Joe Biden was like, we need to do 10 years of cancer research in five years and talk to a bunch of bunch of oncologists and patients and caregivers and like, what do we actually need? Right. And one of the things that uh, came out of that is that it was recommended that instead of doing 
a lot of basic research, we should be doing more high risk, high reward, because those are the things that... It, it's weird, though, that's like, it's, it's such a fantasy that high risk, high reward is quick. It takes just as long. Well, look, it's a fantasy that talking about it can make anything happen. Like, it's, it's, it's a slog. Like, it's appealing, but it doesn't seem like the reality of research. No, no. I mean, it's... The way it's, that's approved by the federal government processes. Well, I mean, look, we can't do 10 years of research in five years. That's like, that's nonsense. Right. Right. It just doesn't. Well, that's yes, like we, green dreams no. sleep furiously. Excuse me. We could do that if we had 10 years to prepare for it. <laughs> like if we had 10 years to prepare to do twice the amount of work. Yeah. Maybe we could amp up the number or, of labs or if and we researchers. Like, yeah. Doubled, like, doubled right. the cancer researchers like right this second. No, no, no. I mean like people, seriously, people in high school now in college have to start preparing to be on colleges. Like there's all sorts of weird, like <laughs> it's like an army. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. <gasps> <laughs> um, well, it is. But it's exciting. It's crazy in a good way rather than just having it be ignored. I mean, look, looking at the timeline of cancer, we have come a long way in 100 years. I get frustrated because I see, you know, my metastatic people dying of cancer. And I'm like, why can't we figure this out? And I still believe that. But like, mm. we have made like 150 years ago, we didn't realize that germs cause cholera. Right. And we shouldn't drink poo water. Right. So, yeah. so we've come a long way, baby. Yeah, no, the poo water, like, you can't get cancer when you're drinking poo water because you just die of cholera. That's true. <laughs> and other things. I mean, I'm glad that we're, we have clean water. Yeah, a lot, a lot of this health stuff started as sanitation majors, and that's what public health is. I mean, yeah, and it's also just a decision from a society of, like, oh, actually recognizing society as a body rather than just a series of individuals. Like, we're all, like, cells in a body, and if the city's functioning well, or the, you know, whatever, the population of a country is functioning well, like our waste is disposed of appropriately, and we don't eat our own poo and eat our own garbage. Well, and your neighbor's health is essential to your health. Correct. No which matter is, what their socioeconomic level. Yeah, which is a lesson that we're learning in an epidemic, for sure, but yes. it applies across the board, because if you have neighbors that are happy and healthy, you're going to have a happy and healthy community. Correct. And if Ugh. you're doing the right thing, and they're doing the right thing. I mean, we live here in Boston where everyone's wearing masks. Even the homeless people are wearing masks. It's true. It's true. <laughs> and sometimes they're dirty, but they're masks. And it's just like, it's kind of just like wonderful and crazy. And I'm talking like people walking down the street alone. I mean, everyone is just wearing masks. And it's a very, I think it's a very unique situation. People who come into the city comment, they're like, everyone's wearing masks. I feel bad not wearing a mask. I'm like, then put your mask on. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, I, I wear my mask, but not if I'm like, if I'm by myself, I don't. But there are people here who are wearing them in their cars. And well, Boston is the cradle of liberty and public health. There you And that's so true. You've already touched upon all of that. <laughs> It's really true. So, I mean, do we do we have protocols? Well, I guess, look, it comes back to this. Like, I think it's really interesting that we made a decision in our country to keep people alive. Like, instead of just letting them die, we decided to keep them alive. And 
I'll tell you what's driving a lot of my, I mean, I guess politics is connected to government, right? And a lot of my political decisions right now are absolutely primarily driven by my recent experience in not having healthcare come through my employer. Because guess what, folks? If you get really sick, you lose your employer's insurance. Like, I didn't even know that. I thought if you got sick with your employer's insurance, like somehow, magically, it kept going. Like long-term disability, short-term disability, that everything would be okay. I had long-term disability and I had short-term disability, which by the way is like, not everyone has, everyone should check on that. First of all, through my employer. Okay. But then you lose your job because you can't work when you get something really bad. And I don't care if it's like, you just got into a horrible train wreck, you know what I mean? Or cancer or or, they're both kind of the same in some ways, but anyway, it doesn't matter (laughs) if you can't work, you won't have your insurance. Your job may be nice and extended for you, but that's up to them. So then you're suddenly on public health care and you're relying on that. And it's, just very interesting to think about how people might change their minds about who they vote for based on their the interest and the, the cogent nature and the plan of you know, public health care, because we live in Massachusetts, where I set up my first for a business I was working with a nonprofit, I set up what was called Romney care at the time, because <laughs> Mitt Romney set it up. And it was great. And it's who, gotten who is a, a famous Republican from Utah, yeah. my home state. Yeah. And so I did it then. And then I had insurance through my employer Then I lost insurance through my employer. And I went on Blue Cross Blue Shield. And I was paying quite a bit. And now I went back on my employer's insurance. And now I'm off of it again because of the pandemic. And I can't even tell you guys, because I have a pre-existing condition of cancer and because I lost my job because of COVID, it is such a reasonable plan. It's it's incredibly reasonable. And I'm just, it really does influence me to want to live in a state that has both Republican and Democratic governors, because let's remember this, we have a Republican governor now. We've had a Republican governor in Mitt Romney, faux show, and it works. You know what I mean? It works. And so I want more of that. And it really is coloring who I'm going to be voting for, too, because that's my issue. Well, it's also why I won't move back to Utah because because it's mandated at the state level. The insurance won't cover me getting surgery on my non-cancerous breast. These are the things that you don't think of until you hear about other friends like, oh, why did my friend Leanna in Massachusetts get to have nice breasts? that make Mm -hmm. her feel sexy and attractive and comfortable, whatever. And you don't think about it until it affects you. And what I think is interesting is that I've gotten into arguments with uh, religious people from my past Mm -hmm. about how Jesus says you should take care of sick people and we're a Christian nation who doesn't do that on a like policy level, um, which I think is wrong. Yeah. And the first sign of civilization from uh, one of these famous sociologists is a healed femur because it shows that yes. the community came together to take care of a sick person. They didn't just leave them for the wolves. They didn't just leave them for the wolves. Correct. And you know what? I would like to live in a civilized world where we take care of people who have broken femurs. Yeah. Yes, and also who have something to contribute. Like, we've decided, like, oh, they may have a broken femur, but they've got a great mind, you know, and they might be able to help us with our navigation. I mean, and I think that's, I think that's huge. I mean, I... Look, I mean, I just, I feel like this is a brutal society too, though. And I guess one of my protocols is this. We live in a brutal society. Everyone needs to have 
two to three years of savings for catastrophe and almost no one does. And this is a problem. This just says everything about how we need more healthcare reform because think of it, think of it. Do you have that amount of money? I did and it's gone now. So I had like my one disaster and like I can't quite afford my next disaster. Like that is like, it's going to have to be on credit. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to charge my next disaster. I can can afford one major disaster every 15 years, I think. Get some airline miles off of that. Right. Can I cash in my airline miles for magazines (laughs) as well as healthcare? I have a lot of those. So, um, (laughs) okay. So your protocol is that everyone should have um, two to three years? Just my father calls it a mattress. Everyone should have a mattress. And if you have kids, you know, especially if you vote Republican and you live in a Republican state that is not super cool with the health care and disability rights, you've got to save money. Do the dance that everyone else is doing in your state. I mean, listen, I lived in Massachusetts and had my savings account cleared out. So I just say, good luck. And you might want to save more money than I did, which was two years of salary after taxes. But it's gone. Okay. Um, my <laughs> so don't try to rob me. Nothing. <laughs> um, my, silver. My protocol is that everyone deserves healthcare and everyone yes. deserves to not go bankrupt if they get motherfucking cancer that 40 to 50% of people are going to get. Yes. 40 to 50% of everyone is going to get cancer and you should be able to pay for that because you are a human being who lives on this planet and mm-hmm. in this country. I guess that's not really a protocol, but like seriously, it should I, be. That's not a protocol. That's a call. <laughs> that is a call out call to, to the universe. Call to action. Totally a call to call action. Call to action. And hey, you know what, too? What we're going to do is that, you know, I think our current president, Mr. Trump, has demonstrated that he doesn't... I mean, he's just not focused on anything in any detail, and I don't think he ever will get focused on anything. But Mr. Biden claims to be interested in this cancer moonshot. So guess who's going to be knocking on his door if he gets elected? Are we knocking on his door? Thanks, cancer. That's who. cancer? Yeah. Um, I don't think the Secret Service will let us that close, but you know what? I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work on that. If he claims to be interested in cancer, as I believe he truly is, Let's hope he makes some time to hear about what Thanks Cancer has to say. Okay. Yeah. So, so, so Mr. Biden, if you're listening. Correct. Or Mr. Biden's peeps, <laughs> we would like to meet with you and talk to you about victories in the dark because we know you know. We know you've been to the dark place. We saw. You've lived in the darkness. We've heard. We know. <gasps> All right. Well. All right. Well, so I guess, guys, the main thing is get out and vote. Oh, shoot. That's like a huge protocol. Hello. Oh, oh, my God. Yes. My gosh. We're yes. so bad. Um, That was. <laughs> <laughs> we're like, we're That's like, get look at that. Do you imagine? <laughs> we totally, our whole point is just lost. Okay. So uh, you should vote. Yeah, vote. And you should vote in your, not just the presidential elections, because what the insurance that I have in Massachusetts is informed by all of the local elections. It's your state. And if you live in a brutal state and if you are going to vote Republican, that's cool. Just make sure you're saving money for that. Okay. Like seriously, like save more, like save like four years of savings, especially if you have kids who want to go to Ivy League schools or state schools. They're expensive now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right. Well, um, uh, thanks for the history of the National Cancer Institute. Yes, no, thank you, Liana, for all of that. That was super interesting. And yeah, what can we say about it? Thanks, cancer. Thanks, cancer. 
That was our episode. Thanks for listening to Thanks Cancer. If you guys enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you would give us a review on iTunes or Google Play. And you can find us on Instagram or Twitter or Facebook at Thanks Cancer. And please, we'd love to hear from you your stories. Your protocols. Exactly. Advice that you have to share with the community. So send us your audio files at info at thankscancer.com. Well, the traffic stopped you lay on the horn and you ask yourself, where is my cancer unicorn? But we're at the gate with your cancer card. We're your passport date. Cause cancer's damn hard. Oh, thanks cancer. Thanks cancer. Thanks cancer. Victories in the dark.